0: When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave
1: women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hello, brave mamas. Are you ready to get the lowdown about everything women's health? I'm your host, Steph Thompson, and I can't wait to share our special guest with you today. My cover and chat today is with the absolutely gorgeous Amy Marie. Amy is a fertility warrior, a mummy blogger, and also a beauty expert. Amy and I actually met many years ago through my best friend, Sean, And uh, Sean's favorite tea has always been Earl Grey. So today I just grabbed a cup of that Madame Grey Deluxe to remind me of her because both Amy and I have watched or had to say goodbye to our best friends and so our chat today, we're reconnecting on many different levels. Amy's journey is both harrowing and inspiring. Just as a heads up though, Amy does talk about her personal story in her delivery room and while Amy herself may not consider it to be like birth trauma per se, some listeners may have different responses to it. But Amy shares her all to help others. Amy it's so lovely to have you and chatting with you today how are you going?
0: I'm good thanks Steph it's so good to finally see you sorry it can't be in person.
1: I know I know it's it's actually really hard hey we were just talking about it before we started and we're all here with smiles and makeup but to get here was a bit of an effort so thank you
0: totally (laughs) no so happy to be here.
1: (laughs) And I know we're going to get straight into it because you have such an epic journey that potentially this is going to be, this could be a 10 part series talking to you. Um, So tell me, you've had a really, we we want to find out about Amy Marie. You've had this amazing, successful career in the beauty industry. And by the way, I saw you on telly the other night and I was like, oh, I know. (laughs) It was really cool. Um, How did that all come to be?
0: Um, so basically, I've always been into beauty. So it's like the real short version of it is my nan was right into makeup and all things beauty. So from a really young age, my mum and nan kind of like, I don't know, just exposed me to that. So I was like doing makeup at home when I was three years old. Yeah. So it's been kind of in my blood from the beginning. And then I went off on a path and did, um, and I was an event coordinator first. 17 years and for 10 of those yeah 10 of those years I sidelined having my own beauty business so I was doing makeup and tanning as you know so mobile driving around to people's houses and driving to weddings and then I did that for 10 years while I still did the events work and then I decided that I would create a beauty salon that was pretty much just a one-stop shop so that people could just go to one place especially mums like not that I was a mum at the time but I knew how hard it was to just get around driving from place to place, how how time-consuming it was. So we created this ultimate beauty hub, we like to call it. So a 400-square-metre space. There's 14 staff. Yeah, so it's like hair, makeup, teeth whitening, tanning, beauty. So, you know, waxing, facials, peels, everything you can think of. All Nails now, we have everything under one roof. So it's kind of the short version of how we got there, but it's been – not an overnight success it was like a you know 17 year journey to get here but it's it's incredible now I'm so happy and proud of what it's become
1: and such a hard slog too right you got to give yourself credit you haven't just cruised through 17 years it's been I've seen you so dedicated and so passionate about what you do and I think that definitely is part of the success you forgot to mention one thing in all of that for mums which I'm interested in (laughs) is that your, your lovely space also caters for mums, right? So you have some support yeah. for children so they can take their kids with them, right?
0: Exactly. So we really encourage, like we know there's a lot of salons around there and, and there is a market for it that don't encourage children because they, you know, people want to go there and switch off and that's fine. We're kind of the opposite. We really encourage people to not lose an appointment because they don't have a babysitter. And I used to have phone calls saying, like, I can't get to my tan because you know my mother-in-law was supposed to be here and she can't get here or whatever it was and I'd be like oh my god just bring your child and (laughs) they can sit in the corner and I'll tell you why I've had kids in my spray tan booth like it's it's so funny some of the stories I could tell you about (laughs) children being around I've had mums breastfeeding while I'm spray tanning that is not even a lie (laughs) literally a child was like crying this is my old home studio crying, crying 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 and she's like oh my gosh!" Like. I think the baby was about five months old and she said can I just quickly feed and I'm like just do it now while I'm tanning so we turned her around and I was spray tanning the back of her and the baby all <laughs> organic tan obviously <laughs> so the baby's on the front being fed by the mum, and I'm like there's one for there's one for, for the um, stories later yeah <laughs> you could feel so, but we really we really encourage parents like not to miss out like it's it's we've got three girls that work here that work in the field of hair and beauty but they also have um early child education oh, okay. um certification so we have actual childcare workers that are on-premises we try and teed up that someone is there to mind the kids um you know we've got a little crash area where kids can play there's you know all kids toys and books and things so they can sit and chill out while mum just has five minutes of peace. really. Feel fill
1: her bucket yeah and it's funny that you said yeah. that. oh it's natural tan because I'm sure you could feel the judges already out there going who's <laughs> getting a tan why they're best feeling yeah. selfish because mums are the worst judges of other mums right 100%. and i put my hand up and say before becoming a mum I would very easily go oh god could she not just not get a tan you know yes but, yes but now I'm a mum I'm like When you have a tan and you feel five kilos lighter in the mirror and you feel good, you can give your kids so much more,
0: you know? Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's about how you feel then ripples. and, And this is a big thing about my beauty business is that one of my main, main like points that I've wanted to get across like the last, you know, 15, 20 years is that beauty is not vanity and I think that that's a real big misconception is that people think you're vain if you look after yourself what I believe is that when you look after yourself you are a nicer person because you feel good and when you feel good we call it the ripple effect so then you're nicer to your children you're nicer to your husband you feel confident so you change a little bit because you feel good Mm -hmm. when you don't feel good You sometimes can be snappy and you, you know, can be miserable because you just don't feel good in yourself. So it's about being a confident person and, you know, like feeling good, which will then ripple effects through to your family and friends and I think that's a big thing because people just think oh it's so vain it's like it's not vain looking after yourself that's it's self-care is like so important and having time to yourself and not I've I've met mums that have completely lost themselves yeah once they've had a child oh and it's just yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like just having that little piece that doing something for you yeah shouldn't be a guilty it shouldn't be a mum guilt it or shouldn't judging. be something to get pushed aside or judgy yep yeah. totally
1: it's funny because I never wear makeup unless I'm on the podcast and it's not because yeah. we're doing a video because we very rarely even will publish the video to be a snippet but it makes me feel like I'm getting up with a different purpose of going to work rather than yeah. getting up to wash undies and I don't need to, and you know what? to wash undies
0: and that And that's how my business uh, sorry that's how my nan sort of inspired me into this is because my nan got up and put her makeup on and got ready for the day and my nan worked she was a working man but my mum was a housewife my mum didn't work since she was 24 but my nan taught my mum that you get up and get ready for the day so me growing up my mum would just drop me at school, or sometimes she didn't even drop me at school. I'd catch the bus, but she got up before the kids got up. She washed her hair, blow dried it, and did her full face and makeup and put her clothes on because she's like, "Then I'm ready for the day." Yes. So you just mentioned before that I was on the news the other night, and and the staff member that contacted me, saying like she was on the news with me, was like, "Oh my god, I need-. we had we had a forty five minute call up, so it was like oh. bang." my staff member was out walking and she's like, I haven't like done my hair. I haven't got any makeup on. And I was like, this happens to me all the time. That's why I get up and just do my hair and makeup because <laughs> it's like, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know who's going to ring or where yeah, I'm going to yeah. end up. So I, I get up and Nan taught me, you know, you get up and get ready and you be ready for the day. So if something comes up, you're ready to go. Yeah. So that's me Lockdown. I've been up. I think there was four days at the beginning of lockdown where I wore no makeup because I had, the dreaded vomiting gastro virus that my daughter gave me so they I was not doing makeup or hair during (laughs) during the vomiting gastro bug that was about four days of just bedridden but yeah other than that I try and get up and start my days if I'm doing something something could come up so just be prepared
1: yeah that's so true and most days I get up and I don't put it on and I still feel okay to get on with the day but it just feels a bit special talking to someone special and you just feel like you're you know organized but um Look, I know that you said before you've got lots of different stories and um, I've seen you work with some big celebrities before. So I just, before we delve into a little bit more about, uh, you know, Amy's uh, motherhood journey, what, because I know a lot of people want to know, what is it like working with celebrities?
0: It's um, <clears throat> it's actually just like working, working with normal people. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I thought it would be this completely different you know, I just thought, you know, you they, they're like a unicorn. Like sometimes you meet some of these big, big people and you think that they're so different from you. But I think the most beautiful part of the whole experience, I've worked with the Channel 9 um, team for, I think I've been with them for about six years now, maybe seven years, six or seven years now. Yep. And I remember the first day that I had to go there and I thought, you know, it was a trial run. They just wanted to see how I connected with people and, you know, see my work. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to have some like real low, like you know, some reporters that I've probably never met, and the tea yeah, yeah. lady, or you know, the, Midnight, the receptionist. Yeah. I wasn't, gonna... yeah. <laughs> and then I walk in, and I um, had Lisa Wilkinson. Georgie Gardner, like all the big names were like straight in front of me and I was just like, oh, wow, like they've really thrown me in the deep end here. <laughs> but I just found, I found they're just like so, like I've, you know, you know personally that I've like connected with some of them on a friendship level and I still talk to them now even though we're in lockdown and I haven't seen most of them for like over 12 months. But it's, they're, they're such, they're so experienced in life and they're exposed to so much and, you know, they're so, um They've just got such good advice. And it's like they don't treat, you know, I'm really the help, really. Like I go there and I make sure they look brown, yeah. like in bronze. It, well, but they orange. treat me like <laughs> yeah, not orange, that's right. But they treat me like they give me, they've given me business advice and they have given me personal advice. And they are just really, I think that um a lot of celebrities cop a lot online and there's a lot of this trolling and horrible stuff that goes on, and they're just not given enough credit for how beautiful most of them are well the ones that I work with anyway like they're yeah. just such beautiful people giving so much time where you know they don't have to they could literally just walk in and stand there and get their chain and walk out but that's not yeah, what yeah. I thought yeah it's been it's been a great experience for me
1: that's beautiful and obviously working and being passionate about what you do for so long at what point did you realize oh, I want to start a family because obviously you just spoke about Lisa Wilkinson and Georgie Gardner their mums
0: and obviously yeah. you would yeah. have had
1: some interaction with them about their motherhood journey so when did that happen for you
0: so it's um so I've always wanted to be a mum. like that was always a part of the plan and then for me personally I am an endometriosis sufferer so I had my first laparoscopy so I got diagnosed at 15 okay but then had my my actual proper diagnosis diagnosis through a laparoscopy at 19 so it was like four years later they actually did the surgery to investigate and then I um knew then that I was going to have to do IVF so I actually found out at 19 that IVF was going to be the only option for me so I kind of grieved the natural conception as a teen like so it gave me a long time to kind of so I grieved back then and then um I didn't meet my husband until I was 28 or 29 yep. so once we got together we just thought I was a bit um naive even for someone that's exposed to IVF and, and know so much now I just thought that you know when you did IVF because I didn't have an actual egg or sperm issue I just thought oh it's an, it, it's a transport issue so we just get the egg and the sperm and we put it together and I can Done. literally, I thought I could pick my date. Like yeah. I'll just, I want to have a baby in October. So we'll <laughs> just have the, we'll do the IVF in February and it's all going to happen. And as you know, that's kind of not what happened for me, but um, we were thrown in the deep end a little bit uh, when I was t- 33, I had a couple of um, pap smears that came back up ab- abnormal. Okay. And the doctor said to me, we can't keep hacking away, so they cut part of they cut part of your cervix and part of your cervix every time they sort of do the test.
1: Is that um, you mean for that's for endometriosis or
0: no, no? So this is for the like sin three, is that what it's All called? The cell, the, yes, um, yes,
1: the the yeah, human papilloma cells. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the cells were kept showing as abnormal, abnormal, abnormal for like a couple of years, like before I met my husband. So it was for like five years. Right. So then eventually. They they just cut a little bit away, and then I eventually had a cone biopsy, which is where they cut part of your cervix out. Okay. So when I did that, I knew I had to do IVF. I knew I wanted to have a baby. I was married, yeah. but I just sort of was like career, 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 and I was building this beauty business, and I was, you know, like yeah, I'm gonna have a baby, but like I I just thought that when I wanted to have a baby, it would just happen. So I I needed to be sure when I did the IVF, it was exactly what I wanted to do it because it was gonna yeah. happen. And then the doctors kind of forced me into it a little bit because once I did the cone biopsy, they said, "Look, we can't keep hacking at the cervix. We think it's best to start the IVF now, just to ensure that you know we don't hack any more at your cervix because it doesn't come back, basically." Right. So that I was thirty three okay. then, and they said, "So I just went, okay, no worries, let's go on a holiday and we'll come back." And we'll do IVF and we'll have a baby at the end of the year. That's what I just thought. Brilliant. As you know. Good plan. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was a great plan. It was an amazing plan, and that was 2014. Yeah. And I had a linter in 2019. So it took okay. five years to five years to get the IVF to work. So yeah, a bit longer than expected.
1: <laughs> wow! Wow, that's huge. I have so many questions even about that part. Yeah. So- <laughs> And I know that that journey has been quite remarkable because I've been able to follow it and you've been very brave to share that in social media because I think your giving nature is that there's other women like you out there who like you thought, oh yeah, I'll just have IVF and it'll be done. And then to realize that it's not that easy. And I'm sure you've been through very high high highs and very low lows, dipping down when things haven't happened. I think for our listeners who aren't, who might be new to their endometriosis journey just tell us a little let's just go back a little bit let's when you were 15 how did you even know like what was the first sign of endometriosis for you
0: so for me personally endometriosis was a topic that was talked about at home and i think that's a really important message is that A lot of parents don't talk to their daughters about things, but my mum was an endometriosis sufferer. So it was a common term. It was a term I knew about. It was a term that I knew what it was. My mum explained it to me from a very young age because my mum had a hysterectomy at 34 because of endometriosis. So Uh, she had her four children, had her four kids, and then the last child, my brother, when she had a, a um, she had an emergency C-section with him and when they opened up, like, um, I don't know if you know, but endometriosis is supposed to be go away when you're pregnant. Like, it oh. disappears because you don't have your period, so it goes, it just sort of, like, is Dead dormant. But, yeah, because um, yeah, when they took um, my brother out, they said that they couldn't basically see any of her internal reproductive system. They just said it was just covered in these, you know, lesions, everywhere so they said to her once you're well and at a point we need to do a hysterectomy so she had my brother at 33 and then she had the hysterectomy i think he was about 18 months so 18 months later she had the hysterectomy so it was a really common term for me and the symptoms and signs my mum obviously watched for which was extremely heavy periods really excruciating pain but in saying that it's not not everyone that has endometriosis has those symptoms, so people can okay. have silent endometriosis, oh. so you can just have struggle with fertility and not know why, yeah, and then later find out that you've got endo and it's like you don't have any of the signs, you don't have any pain, it's just a really strange disease because it's but invisible. it affects
1: what, like, yeah, you can't see it, is like, what I mean.
0: Yeah, not yeah, that's right, it's like this invisible illness, and it's and some people are debilitated by it, so I'd have um days off school where I couldn't go to school because I was in so much pain. I remember doing my HSC with hot water bottles, like tucked into my um, undies under my dress, like doing my HSC, you know, and just really heavy, heavy periods. So when I was 15, I went to, my mum took me to the doctors and said, I think she's got it. Like I had it. She's got all the symptoms I've got. You know, what do we do? And unfortunately in, I think in every country, but in this country specifically, they like to just mask it right so rather than investigate and find no one's finding a cure no one's like there's not a lot happening it's just kind of like all right let's put you on the contraceptive pill and that is often the answer to it to anyone that's got endo so it's like we'll put you on the contraceptive pill so for me at 15 I was like okay that's fine if that's what I have to do it did help symptoms it didn't get rid of them but it just um because it's a fake period when you're on the contraceptive pill because you're having this like kind of fake period it just lessen lessens the heaviness it just lessens the pain um but for me i'm like looking back i'm like we we need to find a a, a cure for this so we need to find a way to get around it and not just mask it with a pill you know and the pill has so many side effects and so many girls struggle on the pill that it's probably not really the answer and i know now for a fact people are still getting put on the pill to pick sentiment choices that's it's just this masking effect
1: you think it's because, Until later Amy, do you reckon, I'm just just thinking out loud here, do you think it's because we, especially when you were 15, right, we didn't, the medical professional either, there's two things, either didn't understand it enough or just really palmed it off as, well, that's just women's health, that's period, you just have to put up with it. It's part of being a woman. I think,
0: yeah, I think that that is a lot of what comes with it is people just think, oh, it's period pain, just deal with it, people have period pain, but hmm. it's fertility it's going to affect your fertility it it was so rampant in me that when i did have my um laparoscopy you know 4 years later yeah. it had damaged all of my tubes inside my uterus like it had damaged so many things and so many parts of me that when they took a look they just said there were so many lesions they like you know they they laser it all off but they're just like when it comes to the time of having a baby it your best bet is going to be um doing IBS Mainly because my my tubes were damaged, so I was at high risk of ectopic pregnancy. Unfortunately, you know, I ended up with an ectopic pregnancy through IVF years down the track, which we didn't know. Yeah, but that was what I was trying to avoid. Was I was trying to avoid an ectopic pregnancy by, you know, getting the egg and you know creating this embryo and then placing it in the womb and then you know this magic happens and you just have a baby. But it doesn't always happen like that. So. I knew stay on the pill, get off to control the symptoms then get off the pill. And then we will, um, you know, have a, have a baby. I actually requested a laparoscopy when I started IVF again to say, let's go in and clean it all out. And I was dismissed, dismissed. I was just like, no, you don't need it. Let's just go in and let's just do IVF. And then I did IVF for five years and I did multiple rounds after rounds, after rounds, after rounds. And then the successful IVF that I had, which was in which was a my daughter was um when I demanded and said no I want a laparoscopy I want a hysteroscopy which is where they scrape the internal lining of the uterus and I said I want this and I basically said I'm doing it whether anyone likes it or not it's my decision and I they were supportive my doctor my new fertility specialist was like yep I think that's where we're at now like we've tried everything let's do it okay when my surgeon went in I was riddled with endometriosis like I was riddled with it oh, and he said to me there's no he's like there's no way you were carrying a baby to a full term like he just said it just this is what's been stopping you because basically the the, the embryos that don't work couldn't find anywhere to stop because there was so much so many lesions everywhere and then the ones that did for the the eptopic pregnancy, my first loss the the baby obviously couldn't find any way to stop and so it ended up going back up into my tube and stopped in my tube and so then I had an ectopic pregnancy so I opted to have both my tubes removed back in 2017 so I was like it was a bold decision but I knew I was doing IVF anyway I knew my tubes were damaged and I just was like you know what I'm not going to go through another ectopic pregnancy again so I opted to have them both um removed in surgery so now People message me all the time saying, oh, like maybe you'll relax even now. Maybe you'll relax in lockdown and you'll have a baby and you'll get pregnant naturally. I'm like, oh, no tubes. not going to (laughs) happen?
1: And as you were just
0: saying that,
1: you've just educated me because I then just, the penny just dropped. I'm like, oh, yeah, because if you don't have tubes and then you can do IVF to put it straight in. Yeah,
0: the other way, yeah. yeah, You can't go the other way. You can only go, yeah. And a lot of people, I only learned a lot about the female reproductive system through illness. Oh my
1: like, god. Like through yes. infertility.
0: Through and like you don't really like learn much about it, but it's because I've had to like navigate this world of women's health because I was thrown into it. Yes. And one of the really interesting parts for me is I I, I want to do another transfer so next month so we're preparing for baby number 2 right now and I'm trying to replicate my last um successful IVF round. So um 5 weeks ago I did another laparoscopy. So okay. I went in did the same surgery with the same doctor. We just were like, we're just going to mimic what we did last time. And it was so interesting. It's been two years since, or not quite. Oh yeah. How how was my daughter 20? It's been nearly three years, two and a half years since I had the last laparoscopy where his words to me were, I was riddled. My, my, After I have this baby, he said to me, your option is going to be to have a hysterectomy because it's so bad. Okay. We're going to, you know, and I said, I want to have a second child. And he's like, well, you hurry up and have the second child and then we're going to do hysterectomy. It's really bad. Right. So similar, it's not dissimilar to my mum. So same sort of scenario. So I have been doing fertility acupuncture throughout this whole period of um, three months before conception of my daughter and then my whole pregnancy and then since. I've been pregnant I just do monthly and then now um, I'm down to weekly now because weekly in the lead up to the, the transfer so my fertility um, acupuncturist she she works with people with endometriosis and all about thinning in the blood and she believes that you know this alternate medicine can help yeah. I had a laparoscopy done uh, five weeks ago six weeks ago and his words to me were he was mind blown. he just said compared to last time he said it was like just scattered like he said it sort of was like a sand had been thrown so there were wow, little pieces amazing. everywhere but nothing like what so his words to me were whatever you're doing just keep doing I mean my GP still says to me oh pregnancy would have had a lot to do with it because when you're pregnant you don't have your period but I said still like you can't take away from yeah. the fertility acupuncture like this yeah. is something that You know Chinese medicine and all this stuff that they've this study that they've put into it. I'm not just Western medicine or Chinese medicine. I'm I believe in a combination of everything can help. Yeah, and believe it can help both ways.
1: It'd be hard to ever get a doc, a medical doctor, to say yes to to something like that because it goes against their their what
0: um, they believe. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine.
1: People always say you're going to do what works for you. I'm actually so happy for you that that is working for you. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And and people ask me, you know, what did you do to make it work? And and I, everybody, like, even on my social media, I get a lot of messages about it. And I'm just like, I don't know which bit yeah. was the key piece, but here's all the pieces of my puzzle yeah. together combined. Yeah. And that's what worked for me. So I'm not willing to risk, dropping any of those pieces yeah, of, of puzzle. so this time around I'm just like I'm just doing everything the same so like no alcohol I'm down to like uh, a weak cappuccino a day like so minimal caffeine because you know caffeine apparently has an effect on your fertility and yes. so I'm just replicating what you know one of the strange things is um which I've struggled with in, in lockdown but one of the strange things is my acupuncturist is like no cold foods no cold
1: so
0: no food. ice cream oh. no cold foods Wow. So everything is warm. You ha- you eat warm. So it's all about warming the blood. It's, it's Chinese medicine. It's something to do with Chinese medicine. Fried I don't understand creaming. it all. I just think, well, I answer, I'm like, I've i been eating ice cream and I'm like, okay, my transfer is in like three or four weeks. I need to stop. This is my key point now. Stop, stop yeah. having the junk food. Stop having the ice cream. I think sugar is bad as well. So you should reduce your sugar. So today's my D-Day where I'm like strict healthy eating, strict healthy on. diet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's awesome! And it's so admirable. You're doing all of this for someone else, really, to create a human being. Yeah, yeah, for you and your husband and Alinta.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because I speak to a lot of IVF people in the community, like online, and we laugh. We're like, you know, imagine if you could just go and have sex and like have a baby. Like, imagine if that. Like, that to me is so funny because I've never ever. Had sex to have a baby in my whole yeah. life because I've always known that IVF was my my only way. And I, and one of the girls messaged me last night saying, you know, my child cost me sixty thousand dollars, and I'm like, I know. Like we we stopped counting at forty thousand, and and we stopped counting because my husband's so tight. I don't want to. If I looked at the real numbers, he'd probably just have a freak out. So oh. I'm just like, we'll just stop there. We'll we'll cap it there and say it was somewhere around that point. Because I'm like, you know, imagine if you. Literally had to spend that sort of money. If you knew that at the beginning, people would hesitate to do it. But you know, because the money is just over years and over time, and you just passing, you know, paying money here, there, and everywhere. It's not the lump sum. You do it, but I mean, I would have spent, you know, I would have spent whatever it costs to have her. Like it's, yeah, you know, it's she's so worth it that. I'm And I say that to people all the time that are ready to give up. I'm like, don't give up. Oh my god, you could be like one transfer away from having that child, How and I you promise know? you yeah you just will never know like mine was number eight number eight transfer to get there and I was like imagine if I stopped at seven and I didn't have her like now I've got her she's so worth it like it's incredible that you just like I try to say to people if it's what you want just keep if it's not what you want that's fine I'm not an advocate to say you have to be a parent but if it's what you want I'm like just keep keep going like just it's so worth it
1: yeah that and that sounds like it's such a huge she you just said she was your eighth try is that right
0: yeah eight, eight IVF transfer, so yeah eight
1: IVF transfers that's a really long journey Amy I can only imagine that when you were pregnant preparing for the birth because you wouldn't have even <laughs> ever thought that far because once you were pregnant you like, right now I've got to yep. prepare for the birth what type of things did you do because I can only imagine with that level of fear <clears throat> you wanted everything perfect right or everything yep, to end in a live baby
0: yeah and it's so you're so true like you only ever look at the step in front you never get past that step so each IVF is just focusing on the IVF and then when you get pregnant it's like okay I've got to focus on pregnancy and like but you never get ahead of yourself it never gets further than that one step yeah so then once I got pregnant it sort of was even through the pregnancy it was just getting to the next stage of the pregnancy because you want to make sure that nothing happens and then for me um I actually did a course at 24 weeks, which was with a physio, a women's health physiologist, um, the physio clinic in Bondi. And they, they did this, it was called um, Born Ready. I think yes. I told you about this. Yes. So I, I still, I want to go back and do it again, like this, like next pregnancy, because I want to, like, it's going to be totally different after being through it like it's so different from the other side um, but it was born ready so it wasn't swaying you one way or another about what to do or what not to do it was just educating you on you know these are the things that can happen and this can lead to that you know so you know intervention one intervention can lead to another so it's a it was about having a birth plan but then ripping it up and throwing it in the bin and going I understand that that like have the intention but understand that that's not necessarily what's going to happen um and for me the two women that run it were amazing and they both had horrific first births so that's where this came from so horrific first births nothing went to plan and then they went on to have second babies and took control back and had the second births were how they wanted it to happen which I hope happens for me (laughs) because that was basically what happened to me that I you know I tried to prepare myself I tried to you know, I bought a, um, what's that thing called? The TENS machine? What? No, the, the worst. The, um, oh, the Yeah, The epi The epi-no. The stretchers Stretches, so I went and stretches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I bought that and I spoke to my OB and I'm like, hey, do you agree with this? And he's like, look, it can't hurt. Everything can help. So I was like doing that and trying to get my body prepared and it just all went out the window. I still had an um, episiotomy, so there was no epi-no for me. Yeah. So it was like, for me... It was so far out of my control, my birth. And I I went in thinking with this misconception that, you know, I've tried so long to conceive that surely that's my, you know, surely that's my hard part. Surely you're going to yeah. give me an easy labor and an easy child. And then it just was totally opposite. So we, I prepared as much as I could. I did the epi you know, I did the course. Yeah. I went to a women's physio from early on, 20 weeks. I think I started working with her right up you know i bought my compression pants to put on afterwards to get my you know everything back in and yep. and then my birth was actually like awful oh. so i ended up with i ended up with um we went in after like the original the, the beginning labor was fine like as you know most people have the free labor and it's all fine i labored at home for a few hours and then i went to the hospital after about maybe 5 or 6 hours and yep. my contractions were only a few minutes apart but okay. the hospital was busy It was Halloween and there was, like, bodies everywhere. So they were just basically saying, we don't have room for you now. Can you stay at home? And I was like, no, I can't stay at home. Like, I need to be there now. And they were like, no problem. So they they actually were bumping, like, um, people were, like, delivering and they were moving them straight out, like, because the delivery suites were all being used. Um, And we went up there and I got up there maybe about, like, two thirty, three 3 o'clock in the morning. And I had a linter at 11 minutes past eleven which is such a significant time for me, 11, 11 oh, no. on the first of the 11th. So oh, she was Scott. just like 11, 11, one 11. 11. So it was just, um. so I went labored hard, labor from two 30 to like 11 o'clock. Um, but it was just for me, I just, everything went out the window. I had zero control. Yeah. I just, I felt like I was like hysterical. Like I just felt like the pain was so much and I couldn't, catch a break my contractions were so close together and I didn't want to have any intervention but I was open to it if it it got to that and it got to the point that at 6 30 in the morning I had um the epidural yeah which I was fine with I wasn't upset either way if I did or I didn't do it um the epidural something that people don't talk about it's incredible by the way because you can't feel anything so that part was amazing one bit that I one bit that I didn't know about which I've since read up on social media other people have experienced is I got this incredible shake. Oh. So my whole body was shaking yeah, like, and uncon- my teeth were shattering. Yeah, So uncontrollable. And I was freaking out because I was like, something's seriously wrong. Like I've got no control of my body. And um, my obstetrician and the um, midwives were saying, no, it's adrenaline. So adrenaline is running through the body and you just have to let it go. Like there's nothing you can do. But it was scaring me. I was scared. I kept saying, it's what I'm scared. Like this is not right. And apparently, it is right. Apparently, it happens to lots of people, and it's just a side effect of an epidural. But where
1: so is it, in it got books, to the right. This is my bed. <clears throat> no one tells you. Sorry to no jump in. No one tells you. But I've never seen that in a
0: pregnancy book. Heard that? No, no one tells you, and no one talks about these things that that happen, and these things that these side effects that happen, and that it's scary. Or maybe I would have been less scared if I knew it happened. Like maybe I would have yeah. been a bit more like, oh yeah, I've read that, that this can happen. But I was freaking going, something's wrong. I, put, I had this needle in my back and now I can't stop shaking. And then I just relaxed for a little bit. They wanted me to sleep and uh, Linda's heart rate kept, I think her heart rate was dropping or it was peaking. I can't remember which way it was going, but whatever was happening, it wasn't right. Yeah. And they just kept running in and trying to move me. And they were trying, they put the, they internally put that thing on her head inside me so that they could monitor her. And then, my doctor came and said to me, um, she's going to be here before lunch, try and relax for an hour or so and I'll come back. And when he went away, um, it just, her, her heart rate was just bad again and they rung in and said, you need to come back. He, my poor obstetrician was delivering three babies at once, over two hospitals. So he was at Southern Hospital, Cleaner, Southern Hospital, Cleaner oh. next door to me. So he was like running everywhere because you can't really plan when all the babies are going to come. Well, I'm having a so little
1: bit Do you know why? Because right. think about the math, October everyone gets funky at Christmas. Yes, yes yeah. I My was born yes. in October, and it was so easy. Yes, that
0: it it's the, it's the summer. It's the summer holidays. <laughs> gets everyone. Everyone's on on holidays. But it is wild. And and my friend is a nurse at my hospital, and he said to me, "Oh my God, you come here in like winter, and it is not like this." And he's like, "This." He said the night that I was there, he said it was like crazy and so anyway my doctor came in and just said um he was so calm and kept me calm and just basically said we're in a real 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 tough situation here and we're going to have to go for a emergency Caesar if we don't get her out now and I was like okay and he's like so are you open for me to do whatever it takes to get her out like in the next three minutes and I'm just like if that's what's going to have a live baby, do what, I don't care what you do to me, just yeah. as long as she comes out. A lot of fine. So he, yeah. And so he just did an episiotomy, which he knew I didn't want an episiotomy, forceps in and delivered her with forceps. So she was delivered unresponsive. So she wasn't breathing. And so he said to me, when he pulled her out, he said to Scott and I, I just want you both to not freak out. He's like, I'm going to put her on your chest for like 10 seconds and I need to take her away but I am promise you it will be okay and I was like okay and he just like plopped her unresponsive not breathing onto my chest and I just was like holy shit like I'm thinking oh my god I just had a stillborn like I just had a stillborn baby oh, and he's just like yeah and he's just like Scott turned to me and like Scott was taking photos because I was like can you take photos because I'm gonna forget all of this so Scott taking photos and she's just like floppy and blue and not breathing and then he took the doctor took her and I just was like oh my God. And then um, Scott s- grabbed my arm and said, it's 11, 11. Like mm-hmm. he knows how significant that time is to me. And I said, she's like not alive. Like who cares if it's 11, 11? Like oh, I said, yeah. she's not breathing. And he's like, no, she's fine. She's going to be fine. And he said, he's later told me like he was freaking out, but he's like, I had to just Tell keep me. you oh, thinking okay. it was okay. So we can hear them, they took her to the resource table and they're working on her, right? So we can hear like one, two, three, they're like fully working on her and we're in got a curtain between us, just listening. And like, as you know, my one of my best friends passed away six weeks before she was born. So all I was doing was just talking to my friends going, oh my God, Shelly, like, do not let her die. Like, please don't let her die. Like, I can't do this. Like, don't let her die. And I just kept like out loud talking, talking, talking. And it, I felt like it was, Ages, but I think it was like three minutes or something. Okay. And That's the doctor lot. came around to the curtain, it was so long. And then we heard her cry, and I was like, Oh my god, she's alive! And then my doctor just put his head around. The- I remember it so vividly. He put his head around the curtain and just went, And I was like, Oh my god! And he's like, It's okay, like she is fine. And I just was like, Holy shit. And then we didn't really know what happened, right, because then my doctor had to go and deliver two other babies. Okay. So then we kind of were left and then it all just was a bit of a blur and it was all, like, really confusing. And then I ended up going back to the ward and it was a midwife that came round and was like, oh, because Alinta was heavily bruised, really bad from, from the, the faucets. faucets. And, yeah, from the faucets, like, really awful. And this midwife just said, look, that's horrific. It must have been a traumatic birth, was it? And I was like. I think so I'm not sure like I don't really know what to compare it to but it wasn't fun and she went and read my card and she came back and was like oh my god honey like that was horrendous so apparently what happened Alinta's umbilical cord was around her shoulders so when she was trying to come out the umbilical cord was pulling her back in so then she was trying to come out and was pulling her back in so that's why he had to basically just yeah she just kept getting pulled 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 that's why he just basically had to like do the episiotomy and pull her out. And my, I love my OB. And he came to me the next morning and said to me, I just want to say, I'm so sorry. Like how bad she looks. And I'm so sorry, how bad you feel. And he's like, I know that we did everything. You didn't want to do, but he said, I would tell you if I made the wrong decision, but he's like, this was the decision of a live baby or not a live baby. And he said, we a hundred percent made the right call to get her out then and there and he's like it could have been so different and I know that everybody's scarred from this and it's and it wasn't pretty but he's like that was the right decision what we did and I believe him I'm like hundred percent like look how close it came to her being a stillborn like imagine going through all that and then that's what ended up because you know so that's hitting. yeah it didn't really get to plan it didn't really go to plan <laughs> it wasn't really the the candles and the music and everything that I had no. in my head that was going to happen it was just like
1: that's heavy it was awful that's really um yeah I'm so sorry that happened to you like that's yeah Yeah. that's beyond I didn't actually probably realize that she was unresponsive I think that was you mentioning it but not like that that
0: yeah and the really interesting part was when like I mean I look at photos in my ward bed like I think it's like three o'clock on the afternoon that I had her so I had her at 11 and there's a photo that's circulating around and it's on my insta and it's sort of out there and I'm sitting on the bed with Scott and Scott's holding a lint And <laughs> I just look like I'm in so much shock I, I just look like what the fuck just happened like what I what was that and I remember just saying to my mom oh my god like what was that like she like fully was not breathing and my mom just turned to me and said "But that's how you were born and this is the really oh. interesting part, right? Is I've known that I was born like that my whole life, and it meant n- not it didn't mean nothing, but, but if, it didn't resonate with me. Yeah, no so I've known my whole there was no connection. So my whole life, my parents joke about um, my name was changed because I nearly died. So my name was Emily, oh. and they changed it to they changed it at the last minute when I was born because I was born with my umbilical cord around my neck.
1: Okay.
0: Um crank breech so bumpers and as my mum was pushing my bum came out and the funny story is that my dad was like oh my god she's got a crack in her head like that's the oh. story right so so dad. the family all laughs about how I was born with this crack in my head and it was turned out it was my bum so I was born with my hands and feet up against my face and that was the last part to come out and Billy cord around the neck blue not breathing but my mum said I didn't they didn't have to resuss me they just whacked me okay. and I coughed up all Good um stuff. after birth and then I just cried so it was like much quicker but same scenario so when I like said to my mum oh my god like and I just you know my mum stayed with me for a month after I had a winter at my house and I just was like I am so traumatized by that And my mum's like oh my god honey that is what you did to me she's like that is the same birth like we, you literally just had the same birth and I remember someone once said to me didn't you know that you were born like that and I was like yeah no my whole life that I was born like that but it just I don't know I just never like connected how awful that is like until you're in it and you do it and you really get how yeah. traumatic that is I never had like a sympathetic bone in my body for my mum about that I just was like oh it's funny because I was born first like yeah. it was a comical story it wasn't a sad story it was no. a story about me being born with a crack in my head not about me being born blue and you know and at the last minute they I was born and they just decided that they didn't want to call me Emily they wanted to find a more meaningful name and they looked through the book in the um in the in the delivery suite they looked through the naming book and Amy Marie means to beloved and belong and they were like well we nearly lost her so then that's why they changed it to um Amy Marie so that was where I got my name so I'm like it's funny how it like you know the cycle just keeps going I just pray that a Lindsay doesn't have it
1: this is break oh, the cycle yeah I do want to get to that but I was just thinking like so it's, it's almost like it'd be silly for me to say what did you wish you knew before you gave birth because you actually did know that that
0: could happen because that was it's, your I birth just, <clears throat> so what but not just that, that Steph like I spoke to you yeah. in depth about your birth right but I feel like I didn't take it in. Like I did take it in. I feel like I was attentive and I was listening and I was like trying to absorb everything. And I've told you before, I've spoken right before my birth. So when I was 38 weeks pregnant, because I spoke to you when I was pregnant, right? I was pregnant. And then I spoke to Lisa Wilkinson when I was 38 weeks pregnant. And she she told me all about her birth trauma with her first child. And I I feel like I can't even remember your stories. I feel like it's just like, I know that it was bad, but you can't really, like, even my mum, I know it was bad, but I can't really, it's like your body protects you. That's yeah. what I think. But it's not protecting me. But I feel like it's sort of like it doesn't Shielding. let you take it on. Yeah, because it doesn't want you to be frightened to go in there. So if I was frightened, then I wouldn't have, who knows what I would have done. Maybe I wouldn't want to have a baby. But it stops you from absorbing this information. And then afterwards, I remember going like, oh, my God. And And I did speak to Lisa, like, Recently, and yep. she came into the salon, and she sat down and said to me like, "How was your birth?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" And I just said to her like, "It was awful, and I'm so scared, and I don't want to do it again, and I'm just like, in two minds about everything." And I know you want to chat about that, but Lisa assured me that her first was horrific, yep. and then her next two were great. She so she's like, "It's you're not, you're not ta- you know, you're not like tagged. Yeah, it, doesn't it doesn't mean that all your births are going to be like that.
1: So yeah, many so moms. it's like, yeah." Amy, so many mums have very similar journeys and I'd say the majority I've spoken to say, yes, it gets easier because we we know, but I just want to go back to something that you said about your OB, you know, when you, in that 11th hour, when he said, if we don't get her out, you have to go for a Caesar, what do you think prevented you from saying Yes let's go have a Caesar, or was it actually an option? Like I know I'm asking two questions. Was it actually an option for you in that moment?
0: He wasn't really asking me, but he wasn't really asking me if I wanted to, but in saying that, I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. Not that I'm against Caesars, but I didn't want to have an emergency Caesar. Okay. So, and and I think that is something that's a learnt behaviour because my mum had three vaginal birth. so my two sisters and me mine was obviously horrific and then my brother she had um she had what did she have what's when the placenta's over your um over previa. the opening um, placenta yeah previa. placenta previa so she had placenta previa didn't know about it obviously back then you didn't do um ultrasound and yeah. things like that but she hemorrhaged at home at 36 weeks okay hemorrhaged at home got an ambulance and they did an emergency Caesar but she did an emergency Caesar under like completely under so she wasn't awake um and and it was a decision of like my dad had to decide who was to survive it was that serious Wow. so my mum is very tarnished by emergency seizures and my mum then had the recovery with me. I oh, we're only 15 months apart. So she had a 15 month old and a newborn recovering from an emergency seizure. So I think that it's a learnt behaviour that my mum's tarnished by that, yeah. that I'm like, Oh, I'm open to having a caesar, but I don't want an emergency seizure. Yeah. Okay. because I don't know. I just feel like it's like not the, op- it's like not prepared. It's like you're going in and quickly. So for me, I thought, you know what, my mum's had a paesiotomy with all of the kids, my nan did. If that was what he was saying that he was going to do, I was like, that's the lesser mm. bad of the two. Yeah. So that's why I sort of was happy when he did that. And and I thought it would be quicker as well rather than a Caesar, like, you know, I had to Preppy. go and have to go into recovery. Yeah. 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 Well, the- so that's that was sort of my headspace was more about, yeah I'm here now like yeah I'm happy that you're just going to get her out that, whatever
1: yeah of true. course because you've gone through all of that laboring too all of those hours yeah I, I remember feeling very similar I'm like oh I've come this far if I have a Caesar, yes. I feel like a failure but not because yep. I have that judgment it's because that was what it was ingrained to me in my childbirth yes. education and yes no one in my family has had a Caesar, so I we never spoke yep. about it I didn't even know what they really were yep. I thought it was um yeah like what social media um, portrays, it it's the easy way out. You're not a real mum, all yeah. of that bullshit, yeah. which is not true.
0: What do they say? Too posh to push. Is yeah. that what they used to? That's the, like, tag, yeah.
1: Absolute bullshit because now looking yeah. back, I mean, everyone says hindsight's a beautiful thing. Had I mm. had the option, knowing all of the risk factors I know now, um, yes. I, I would have liked to have just found out more about it i'm not saying i would have done it yes i would have liked to yep. find out all the risks for cesarean birth Sorry. but also and all vaginal. the risks for forceps birth and an episiotomy yep. that cuts you from front yep. to back yep. i would have liked to have known all of it because i could not make an informed decision because amia was not no. informed
0: no and it's too late then and then oh god yes to try and work, navigate it you like there you're not you can't think there and then so you need to know all this before yes so long before i yeah yeah, long before, and I feel like yeah, it isn't taught. I feel like um, I feel like that course that I did, that Born Ready, um, I feel like it was good because it was unbiased. Like they they did just give you the facts of this is, and and they educated me on things I didn't know. Like I was like before I um went to that course, I was like, oh, I'm gonna to get induced because i don't want to go to 40 weeks i'm just going to have a baby at like 38 weeks because then it just cuts it two weeks short they talked all about induction and about when you get induced they only use one hormone in your body whereas um you know your body needs four hormones to work together as receptors to stop the pain so that's why people that have get induced say oh my god the pain was so hard and fast and horrific it's because the pain receptors of the other hormones that work with that hormone aren't there because your body's not producing them yeah so i was like oh I'm not having I'm not getting induced so, so I completely backflipped because I got educated on what an induction was I didn't know what an induction was I just thought oh you just get to have the baby early that's like everything's insane
1: yeah. yeah yeah actually because um, that's
0: what you think
1: yeah actually it's funny because when you told me that that course I went and did it even though I was never having any did more you? kids I did it for research but for just to educate
0: yourself because yeah. I
1: well, I've never heard this before. Because they came from a women's health physio pelvic floor physio um, philosophy. Yep. I do feel like now knowing what I know, it was heavily um, swayed. A, the education was based around vaginal birth. They did talk yes. about cesarean a little bit, but and, and I think most women no. do yep. go in now going, well, that's I'm supposed to birth vaginally, so let's find out about that first. And it was a really good um, eye opener.
0: I feel thing. like. I feel like you need to do multiple things. Like, yes. so I also did the one at the hospital. Yes, I did the hospital birthing yeah, one. Same. I did that one, and and I think that next time I'm going to do multi- I'm going to do it all again because I just want to get as much information again. Yeah, I still don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Like, I still don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't. I haven't made up my mind, and it depends what day you're talking to me about what I want to do. Yes, some days I am dead set on. I'm just going to have an elective Caesar and have the date and have a safe birth. I'm just going to go in there and the just get them away. to fuck the baby out, save the, t- take the trauma away. Then on another day, I'll be like, no, like I want to do, I want to try again and defeat this. Like i feel defeated if hurt. I just walk away and, and I want to be empowered and go like, you know, fuck you, I did this. Yeah. Like, you know, I really yeah. want to. But then on other days, I'm just like, that's so stupid. Why would I do, just go and have a elective Caesar? Like, why would you be so dumb? And and I also think it changes depending who I'm talking to. Yes. So who I'm talking to, their opinion on the situation, not on my situation, but on their own situation influences me. Yeah. So I spoke to my gym. My gym owner's wife had a baby six months ago and the baby was four and a half kilos Yep. vaginally tore to shreds horrific like horrible birth and I chatted to him one morning like you know chatting about um I don't know what to do next time and he's like oh my god I will not let my wife go through that again like we are having an elective Caesar like it is dangerous and he just was like so like I will not watch her go through that again so then I was like Oh, like maybe I'm being stupid. Like, I should just go have an elective Caesar. Like, why would I go and try and put myself through this again? My one thing that happened is my pelvic floor physio, who I have a close relationship with and talk to about obviously all the issues I've had with like my um, pelvic floor, she said to me that. The decision might be made for me. Okay. So she just said, you know what, don't, don't stress yourself out because we might make this decision on your behalf between her and my obstetrician. Yeah. They might just say, it is not going to work. you go into a vaginal birth again. Yeah. I'm going to be having a baby at 40 this time around. So yeah. she's like, your age is a factor. Your ligaments don't go back the way they used to. Yeah. You've already had a prolapse. So your, your chances of another prolapse is extremely high well my prolapse hasn't gone away so she's like it's extremely high getting worse okay so she's just like stop stop thinking about it because we might decide for you yeah carrying a baby on its own puts pressure on your pelvic floor so she's like the weight of it so she's like just yeah we might just tell you that it is in your best interest that you have a c-section so she said and then you don't need to think about it because we can just say this is really from a medical perspective probably the best option for you
1: so she that that
0: was her opinion
1: yeah and I think Amy a lot of women need that they probably because they Mm. they're so torn as to the consequences for the decision they make like well what if I do do this and then that happens and it's on me but if someone else does it for you if that's easier for you yeah um what I will say is that I did a very similar process to you I was adamant I was having a Caesar because of the first trauma and not because uh so um because of my prolapse as well but Because I needed to take away so much unknown. However, so I'd spoken to my professor who was working on my pelvic floor at the time. I'd spoken to my obstetrician and I'd spoken to a doula and a midwife. And unanimously, they all said a second vaginal birth should theoretically be easier for you because all the damage is done. So you should be able okay. to birth, and I said, but how? Because my prolapse is at the opening of my vagina. For baby well, comes, because it's already
0: down. Is my
1: bladder going to come it out? Because it's
0: already down. Yeah,
1: yeah. but he, you know, just easily explaining things like, well, you're going to lay on your left hand side. Your bladder is going to flop away. It will you can empty yeah. it with catheter, and baby will come out. And I said, but what if I'm mentally not okay? And he said, well, that's okay. Yes. I'm here to support you. Whatever you yeah. decide to do. If you say I can't do this, Simon. I will. We can do an elective Caesar. So, I just kind of had that always up my sleeve. He goes, you can try. You can start labouring. Then, if and it's then not okay, out. we will walk. Th- we will walk through this together. And it was amazing. And I will yep. say, the second birth was healing from the first. Because that's I,
0: what I'm hoping. Yeah, the yeah, yeah and that's what I was hoping. I were
1: like, oh, this is what childbirth. This is what they say. It's beautiful, it's like. yeah. Yeah, we cried beautiful so much experience. the second time.
0: <laughs> and that's what I want. I want this beautiful experience. But then I have like friends that have had like elective seizures and they're like, "Oh, it was such. It was such a beautiful experience." So I'm like, yes. "Either way, whatever way I go, I just want it to be a beautiful experience."
1: Because now they're allowing women to have like a gentle cesarean, I think they call it. So there's like they seven ways hold, you can birth a baby where you can bring her out if they your can womb. pull them out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so it's.
1: And I didn't even know what a Caesar was. So once I'd asked him, "Well, what is, what's all the risks for that?" I was like, "Oh, actually, that doesn't sound so easy." And I'm not. Um, no. I'm not. A f- I'm not against it, but I'm
0: not running towards it either, which so, I thought I was. Yeah. So, and that's me. Yeah. And that's me now. That's where I'm at now. And I think I've got, you know, I've got to get pregnant first, obviously. Like, that's the first little hurdle. Yeah. But I've got, you know, full faith that that's going to happen. And then I'm like, I've got nine months to lay around and think about what way I'm going to go and make my decision. But I have full faith in my medical team. So I think that that's a massive bonus, that they'll guide me on what they think. My um obstetrician is not C-section happy. You know, some of them yeah. just want to fuck People everybody up. He's not... He is absolutely, we, like if I just walked in and said I want to have a C-section, he would be like we need to talk about the whys Good. because he doesn't. He doesn't want to just do it. And and some people don't like him for that reason because people just want to have a C-section and he's like, no, nope, we need to sit down and work out why you want that. And is this right for you? He does do them, but he doesn't just do them on everybody. He's yeah. like, you need to, we need to do them for the right people for the right reason. So that. I know I trust him. I trust that he'll help me make the right decision on this. And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I think I'm more excited this time rather than scared. It's taken me 21 months to get over the scared, but I think that now I'm more, you know, obviously that hormone's gone through me that makes you forget. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, a it's all, all gone through. It's, yeah, so that I'm not, um, the fear is going. Now it's like more excitement. I'm just like excited to do it again. I'm, I'm pumped now. I'm like, I'm really pumped up. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm really, I'm, I'm so ready. Yeah, I'm okay. so ready.
1: That's beautiful. I just to finish off, I do want to know because I know you've mentioned that you know your mum has spoken very openly to you throughout your whole life from endometriosis yeah. and naming women's health, and I think that's amazing. I don't think it's as common as it probably needs to be. Yeah. It's probably not as common as what we are gonna be with our girls, but what are your wishes for a So that you said, I hope this doesn't happen to her. How how do we yes, make that happen I do. for her?
0: I know, I think that it's basically like probably part of the reason why I'm so open about it and why I you know why my social media has turned from a place of beauty into a place of like fertility and women's health because yeah. I feel like people are going to get more from that than um by educating and you know my following is a lot of people that are not exposed to these things and like wow I had no clue or, or you know my mm-hmm. daughter's going to IVF and I didn't know that this is what she had to do and it's yeah. I think it's the education is the key and just educating I feel like You know, hopefully by the time she's 15, the endometriosis has way more awareness and potentially some kind of cure or some kind of treatment that's not just like, hey, let's just do, you know, like, let's just do a laparoscopy and like laser it out. Let's hope that there's something that can, that can help um, girls and women going through this. And um, I think just with the birth, I hope she doesn't have a horrible birth like me, but she might because lots of people do. And you can't change it, right? Like, you you
1: you can't, no matter what you say to someone. You can't no change control. it a
0: baby's going to have a cord on its shoulders. No, no one no. can predict like, that. No nothing, one can see that. Nothing. Yeah. That's right. It's nothing that there was, not, was so out of my control. But I think, again, the education and getting, you know, as much information. And I think that because I am so open, my mum was open, I think these conversations happening from a young age is the key. And I think that, you know, there probably should be more conversations like this in schools yes. and, you know, getting teenage girls understanding all of these things and i think even um you know even about the like the prolapse and the the birth traumas and the after effects like just getting those conversations out i had a woman on my instagram sorry i know we're, we're winding up but the woman on my instagram who is my friend's mother step mother-in-law yes. messaged my friend the other day and say can i have amy's phone number and my friend was like oh that's a little bit strange like she's in her 60s or 70s yeah, and yeah. she wanted my phone number and she said i've just been diagnosed with a prolapse and I have been told I need to be fitted with a pessary and I want to speak to her I know she's very open about it on her social media so this woman called me who I've never met but she's like I follow you I follow Alinta and I followed your story and I don't know who to speak to and she just unraveled about you know how she was told that she had to have this thing and she saw these things that they brought out of the, the box silicon- and she, nearly, she was <laughs> mortified and she's like I it was a toy box with all these blocks <laughs> and things and she said oh, my God, and she's like, she just was like, I can't do this. And I just said to her, like, you know, talk about what your options are and and, and just don't take no for an answer. If, if the pessary is not for you and surgery is a better option, then, you know, navigate that and chat about it. And so I had this hour conversation with this woman I've never met before about pessaries and surgery for prolapse because people don't talk about it. She's like, I didn't know who to call. Oh. So she's called someone off social media. She's like, I have no one to talk to about this. This is just oh. such... Topic that no one would talk about, and she was quite proper. So, obviously, she was like, You know, this is not, I can't talk to my husband about this, and you know, I don't. And she was mortified that her doctor was a man, so that he was going to fit her with all of these things. Of course, she was just like so uncomfortable. And I was like, Wow, we really need to talk more and get more people talking about this. Go,
1: you make it
0: normal conversation, like it happens in life,
1: yes, and it's It's got to be normalized, yeah. And that's the whole reason why we're chatting because. By us chatting, I hope that it starts. You know, us chatting over our cup of tea and coffee. That someone listens to this and then goes and sits at the table with their mum and says, "Mum, do you know what a prolapse is?" And her mum goes, "Yeah, I've got one. Do you want one?" You know, well, you know, like it's so common. One in two women. It has to be talked about. Yeah, one in two women have it, but I don't talk to anyone about it. Like until now, as you know what I mean.
0: It's great. It's just wild. But I think that the education is key. The, the talking, opening up the conversation and I nothing is off limits with me. I'm I love like it. open to chat about anything. And when people message me, I honestly um write back to them my honest opinion and just keep the keep that way two way communication going that people can message me on social media and I have no issue talking about my situation and how things have affected me. Obviously that's different than how it affects others, but I'm open to telling my story if it if it gives people some insight into, you know, these wants to do topics
1: that's beautiful amy and giving so much of yourself it would probably take a lot i can only imagine if you're replying to all of these women you've got a lot of people following you if anyone's listening today and they don't follow you yet where can they find you
0: uh, my Instagram is amy underscore marie underscore c. So it's Marie M A R E E. Yep. And yeah, it is. It's it's a lot to reply, but I I allocate time every day to get back to everyone. Like I just make it as a part of my day that I just respond. Yep. If I don't have time to respond, I'll obviously sometimes message and say, look, hey, I can't chat now, but I'll get back to you soon. Just you know, people have taken the time to message me. I think it's important to take the time to message back.
1: You are a true warrior, my friend. I've loved talking to talk <laughs> you Thanks, today. Thanks,
0: Steffi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That's
1: amazing. And obviously I can see behind the bridal bar. So if mums want to come and see you yes. at, um, in the Sutherland Shire and check in and obviously wow. once we're out of lockdown, get a bit of
0: Yes, hair and beauty.
1: That would be Hampering. beautiful come yeah. see you and then I can have a chat to you about endo as well. It's been so lovely to talk Absolutely. to you. Thanks for educating Thanks us.
0: Thanks so much, Steffi. Thanks for having me, Steph. All right, bye.
1: Bye. As heavy as some of these topics have been today, Amy speaks with such openness, which is actually quite refreshing. I love that even through all her struggles, Amy's strength continues to shine. Because it takes a lot to not only go through things like this, but then to talk about it in such a way to support other women, that's admirable. To find out more about Amy's journey, visit the links in the show notes where you can connect with her and ask her anything. While you're there, you can also share this episode with those who you feel could benefit from tuning in. Stay with us for the next episode. We chat with someone who has heard more birthing stories than all of us put together. Looking forward to it. Bye for now.